from KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden accused Trump of stoking violence in our cities, a charge echoed by some state and local officials who say the White House is encouraging heavily armed right-wing militia groups to show up at demonstrations and threaten protesters. We'll talk about the rise of armed militias at protests. Then, writer Leslie Tenorio's debut novel, The Son of Good Fortune, tells the coming-of-age story of an undocumented son and his mother, a former B-movie action star in the Philippines, as they eke out a life in a Bay Area suburb. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Four days after Wisconsin prosecutors charged 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse with the murder of two Black Lives Matter protesters, President Trump refused to condemn the vigilante shooter, suggesting without evidence to reporters yesterday that Rittenhouse fired in self-defense after protesters attacked him. Even as Trump, quote, greatly exaggerates the danger posed by those demonstrating against systemic racism and injustice, Trump is ignoring and at times himself inciting a potentially much deadlier threat. That's according to independent investigative journalist Josh Meyer. Meyer has covered drugs, organized crime and national security for the L.A. Times and other news organizations. Thanks so much for joining us, Josh Meyer. My pleasure, Mina. So this potentially much deadlier threat that you wrote about in the Washington Post that you think the president is ignoring, as you write, quote, heavily armed white militia members show up at Black Lives Matter protests with the purported goal of protecting against property damage and injuries to civilians. Why is this a much deadlier threat than we may be realizing right now? Uh, well, that's a good question. I think, um, and I also think that at this point, uh, President Trump has gone past the point of ignoring it to um, to uh, willfully um, and intentionally stirring the pot, as we've seen from his remarks over the past few days. But the reason that this is such a threat is uh, because at least 45 states around the country uh, have open carry laws, which mean that people can walk around in public with uh, weapons, heavy weapons, long rifles, semi-automatic weapons uh, that are made uh, more for for combat in Iraq and Afghanistan than they are anywhere in the United States. And so these people, often with walkie-talkies and uniforms that that make them look virtually indistinguishable from police or special forces or National Guard that that may also be on the streets, uh, have all of this firepower. And in most cases, there there's no required training to go along with it. So uh, they're armed, uh, ready for uh, trouble and, and often looking for trouble. And, uh, you know, one thing can lead to another, as we saw um, in, um, in Kenosha. And uh, authorities that I've spoken to over the past few years are very, very concerned uh, that we're going to have a mass casualty incident when, when somebody uh, pulls the trigger and then everybody starts firing. As you point out, these white militias are not new. They've been at rallies before the Black Lives Matter protests. Can you talk a little bit about where we have seen them and and how they organize? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been covering this for for about thirty years, I think, and and we've seen them uh, come and go, but but they have evolved over time. They've been using Facebook and also other social media uh, to, um, to 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 
um, to gather online. Um, you know, the, the, the algorithms that Facebook has actually helps these groups, uh, you know, unite with each other. You, you, once you start looking for certain search terms or joining certain groups, uh, it, it, it essentially in, in, uh, introduces you to these other groups. So they have been able to, to grow exponentially online and to uh, issue calls for action, calls for arms, calls to arms, uh, as was the case in Kenosha. But, you know, we, we saw them uh, especially uh, coming to the streets after the Charlottes or during the Charlottesville uh, incident three years ago um, and, and before then uh, and after that too. So when we had all the protests with, with Antifa uh, and the protests over Confederate monuments and immigration uh, under the Trump administration and even during Trump's campaign in 2016, these groups came out in force and they uh, essentially haven't gone away ever since. What is the relationship between these militias and law enforcement? You know, it's hard to say. Uh, there's a lot of, um, and this is a very controversial topic, I think, for some people. Um, and there's not all of that, not all that much empirical evidence about it, um, at least from the law enforcement side. But there is some, and and at least uh, these groups have been present in at least um, uh, at least 20 states. Some some people say 40 states. Uh, that there's that there's. Uh, relationships between some of these militia groups uh, and law enforcement. Um, law enforcement officials themselves have been tied to racist militant activities in more than a dozen states since 2000. Uh, Mike German, who is a former FBI undercover off, uh, agent, uh, wrote about this recently. Um, and hundreds of police officers have been caught posting racist and bigoted social media content online. And it's been interesting, as you say, in terms of it's sort of controversial, because as we heard in Kenosha, when there were groups of people with assault rifles and, and other things that were there to guard, quote unquote, guard property and protect people, we were hearing about, you know, police officers giving them water, saying over loudspeakers from their vehicles, we appreciate you guys. Thanks so much for being out here. And at the same time, you also heard then uh, the sheriff talking about how he was concerned about deputizing people like this because of the kind of liability it can create, meaning the kind of danger that it can create. So it feels like there's, in some cases, also some departments that are less than excited about the presence of these militia members and others who, who feel like they're actually on their side, on law enforcement side. Right. Well, one of the things you have to distinguish between um, is the official statements from the law enforcement agencies and the feelings and the belief of the frontline officers on the ground. I mean, I think that that was a very good snapshot of, of, the, of the situation in Kenosha, where if you look at the videos, and I've studied every available video, every possible which way since then to just to sort of get a picture of what happened um and you know the officers are are welcoming these guys uh literally at the same time that they're blasting out through the loudspeakers that everybody else needs to go home that there's a curfew and that they need to get out of this particular area or they're going to get arrested um somebody else is handing out or giving out water to to um uh to to rittenhouse the uh, suspected shooter and, and his comrades um, and saying we really appreciate you guys. So yeah, it's a it's a problem. I think that there's not um, a clear through line between what they're supposed to be doing and what they're doing on the ground. And I think that in some situations when things get out of hand, uh, there may be instances where the where the law enforcement people uh, actually believe that these guys are helping. Um, but but as was the case in Charlottesville and elsewhere, 
um, there, these guys are not there to help the police. These guys are there uh, to, you know, it's not clear what they're there to do. They're untrained. Uh, there's a lot of law enforcement that are very, very concerned that these guys are going to uh, really, um, you know, start some trouble uh, and it can, things can get out of hand very, very quickly. And in the meantime, Black Lives Matter activists, as you report, have taken up arms themselves. Well, I think that that's something that has not been um, th that needs a lot of reporting on. I think that there are some pockets of them here and there who have done that. Um, certainly the other night there was uh, uh, in Portland, there was a there was a shooting where purportedly one of the Black Lives Matter protesters or some protester shot and killed somebody from the, one of the right wing militias. Uh, but we don't really know that much about that. There was a, a person purporting to be the head of uh, Black Lives Matter in New York who said that he wants to start a Black Panther type uh, um, squad of people that are armed and patrolling the areas to protect the citizens. But as we know from what the real Black uh, Panther Party did back in, in the 1960s, that often caused more trouble than it, than it prevented. So uh, things are at a very, very volatile uh, state. Um, I, I haven't seen things um, this much of a powder keg situation mm. in probably 30 years. And given that it is such a powder keg, I mean, are cities, states equipped to handle this? No, <laughs> that's the short answer. Um, you know, I think that police uh, need to do much more training uh, when it comes to dealing with these militia groups. Uh, and obviously the bigger concern and the bigger uh, problem that needs to be solved is these open carry laws, because when you're able to walk around the street with a with an AR-15, which I think is what Kyle Rittenhouse uh, had, according to the police, uh, the prosecutor's complaint. Um, you know, th if you're able to do that legally and then wave it in people's faces, or even risk having them try to take it from you, as President Trump says, he he said that it was a self-defense situation. Uh, even that is a is a problem because why are you out there with this gun in the first place? But until you can remove those weapons uh, from being displayed and and flaunted in public for lack of a better word, then you're going to have a big problem. But you also need to train the police in how to deal with all of these armed citizens that are out in force on the streets. And of course, you also um, need to have the message coming from the top, from the White House, that that probably people shouldn't be walking around with semi-automatic weapons looking for trouble. Um, and unfortunately, as the case is now, we have a president who is running for re-election on a law and order uh, a platform who is doing exactly the opposite and encouraging people to do their patriotic duty and, and go into cities, Democrat-controlled cities, uh, heavily armed and, and, and help out, I guess, for uh, <laughs> is, the, is the way he describes it. Yes. And these militia groups are sort of right-wing? They have ties to right-wing groups? They, they are. There are some that are left wing. I mean, I was writing about this at Politico three years ago uh, before Charlottesville, after Charlottesville. Um, and it, it is true that some of these Antifa groups, anti-fascist leftist groups, some of them um, have carried weapons, but it's it's a totally different um, situation. It's, it's nothing. It, it's orders of magnitude less than these uh, right wing militia groups. Uh, some of them, which do have uh, clear ties to much more virulent um, anti-Semitic uh, groups, uh, racist groups, and so forth, KKK, neo-Nazis, and so forth. Uh, I mean, these groups, uh, I, I kind of liken them to uh, the, the kind of guys that used to join the National Guard or or the local, um, you know, uh, 
uh, volunteer firefighters association. They're looking for something to do. They're looking for a way to, to get some aggression out, I think. Um, uh, but instead of being a weekend warrior where there's training and you're under the command of a national guard, uh, commander, these guys just basically, uh, have weaponized themselves to the teeth. They've gotten all riled up uh, when it comes to politics. And then they're just out there on their own, just looking for, for hmm. ways to get involved and, and looking for people, uh, that they think might be, potentially uh, causing trouble and then trying to stop them before it happens. So it, it is a recipe for, for disaster. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, it is. We're talking about right wing groups showing up at Black Lives Matter demonstrations and how, if at all, they're being held to account with Josh Meyer, independent investigative journalist. His recent Washington Post piece looks at the rise of these groups and why cities are ill-equipped to deal with them. We're also talking about charges that the White House is implicitly and explicitly supporting these right-wing vigilante groups. What are your questions about these groups? Are you concerned about the presence of these so-called militia members at protests? Have you ever encountered one at a demonstration? If you're in law enforcement, what are your thoughts on them? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. I'm Nina Kim. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Josh Meyer, whose recent Washington Post piece looks at the rise of right-wing vigilante groups who are showing up at Black Lives Matter protests and intimidating demonstrators and how cities are trying to deal with them and are quite ill-equipped. Are you concerned about the presence of these so-called militia members at protests? Have you encountered them at demonstrations? Or if you're in law enforcement, please share your insights about these groups. Call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or email us at forum at KQED. Dot org. And let me start first with Michael in Belmont. Hi, Michael. Join us. Hi, good morning. Um, your guest said that he's seen all of the videos of the shooting in Kenosha, and the president has said that Kyle Rittenhouse was defending himself. Does your guest believe that that's what happened? Because other people have said that uh, he actually, the, the shooter, did some things first before anybody came near him. Mm. Josh Meyer? Uh, it is. That's a very good question. I think that both are true. Um, the video does not um, show a full picture of what happened. Uh, there's one key period, for instance, where um, Rittenhouse and one of the protesters who was ultimately shot and killed um, are, are tussling or, or, you know, they're sort of confronting each other uh, and their people are swearing and so forth. And I believe one shot might even be fired. And then they moved, I think, off camera and you heard more um, you know, physical activity, I think, and then somebody swears again, and then there's there's gunfire. So it is not clear exactly what happened in the second incident. Uh, after that first one, uh, the video clearly shows Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, or I should say allegedly shows him uh, jogging away from the first incident. Uh, he's heard, overheard on the phone, according to the complaint, uh, they've talked to witnesses, he's overheard on the phone saying, I just killed somebody. And then he's jogging almost nonchalantly through the streets, but there are people pursuing him. Uh, and then when he stumbles, they do catch up with him. It does appear that that they're either trying to hit him or, or grab his weapon. 
uh, ostensibly, I think, to stop him from shooting other people. But, but the point is, um, yes, you could probably make an argument, and I'm sure his defense lawyers will, that he was firing in some form of self-defense. But the police um, call that uh, putting yourself in the kill zone. And what that means is uh, if you're a, a, a trained police officer, you're not supposed to do things that, that, that risk a gun going off in any situation. You're not supposed to get too close to people. You're not supposed to have the gun out and, 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 and open and, and ready for firing. So, so clearly Rittenhouse uh, put himself in a situation where it was uh, perhaps even likely that a gun would have to be fired. So you know, a, a self-defense uh, defense in this case, I think is gonna be very contentious. And It will be you know, contentious, I, yeah. but it's amazing, yeah. Josh Meyer, how much that is the argument that's being put forward, not just by by the government potentially in some circles, but also in, in right-wing media as well. Right, right. And, you know, I, I covered the O.J. Simpson case. I covered uh, some the Rodney King and the riots and all of that. And and I don't think that it's overstating the case to say that if this if this does go to trial and and we see this person polarized, you know, that 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 some people are, are touting him as a hero and some people are touting him as everything that's wrong with with militia groups and, and Trump's America and so forth. Uh, this could be a, 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 you know, this trial could be a very, very high profile trial that gets into a lot of much broader issues. And it could be the trial itself could be very uh, polarizing. This listener writes, I frequently hear these groups of armed gunmen referred to as militias, as you're doing in this program. It's my understanding that an actual militia must be state sanctioned. These groups should be called what they are, gangs, as they have no official sanction whatsoever. Interesting point, actually. I, I appreciate that. What are your thoughts on that? Is militia a misnomer? Uh, well, it, I mean, I guess maybe you could say that there's uh, uppercase militias and lowercase militias. Uh, this dates back, I think, to the to the founding of the country and the of the Constitution, and and the Second Amendment, which states that there should be a well-regulated militia and that people should be able to carry guns because uh, they're part of a militia. But but back then, uh, the militias were supposed to be state-sanctioned. I mean, the militias were actually the kind of people. Uh, that were fighting the redcoats that helped win us freedom. That's what that's what they were, the Revolutionary War heroes. But um, but these days, it's it's a term that I think essentially has no meaning anymore. I mean, who knows uh, if if Kyle Rittenhouse uh, or somebody might know. I don't uh, whether he was part of this Kenosha Guard, uh, which which describes itself as a militia, or if he was just answering their call to arms on Facebook, or if he just heard it secondhand or thirdhand. I mean, at this point, I think it. These groups consider themselves militias, so um, I think they have to be treated as such. But yes, uh, I think that that um, gives them, in some ways, more of the benefit of the doubt than calling them a bunch of thugs that are out, racist thugs looking for trouble. Uh, and I'm not saying all of them are, but but you know there are clearly some elements of these groups that 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 relish the opportunity to strap on their AR-15 and their camos and their walkie-talkies and go out. Um, uh, in their pickup trucks and 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 you know walk around like they're 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 helping save America from the thugs that uh, Trump likes to describe in his speeches. And Craig writes to say that these right wing militia groups are going to these mostly peaceful rallies to protect private property is completely untrue. They show up with the sole intention to intimidate these peaceful protesters. Let me go to Barbara in San Francisco. Hi, Barbara. Hi, uh, hello. Uh, yes, I see Trump as being like an arsonist.
starting fires and posing as a firefighting savior. His inflammatory rhetoric is emboldening these people to come out of the woodwork with their long guns, unregulated, unauthorized militia people. So it's extremely scary. Uh, it could lead to civil war in this country. Well, Barbara, thanks for the, the metaphor. Uh, I, I guess one of the things that Barbara's point is making me think about is just the fact that we are we are a couple months away from this election. And do you feel like that's playing a role in the way that the president and his campaign is really trying to focus on unrest and also blame Democrats for it? I mean, I guess I wonder how the election is is fueling pressure to be, as, as Barbara <laughs> states, someone who sets fires and poses as a firefighter, potentially. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw what David Axelrod said, uh, President Obama's uh, former chief strategist, but he said that... Um, you know, Trump clearly knows he's not going to win re-election uh, on the uh, on his handling of the pandemic of the coronavirus epidemic, um, and so what he's tried to do and succeeded for the most part is changing the conversation, uh, changing the subject, and then just uh, you know focusing on law and order. And as you saw during the convention, there was a lot of um, time and effort spent on this. Uh, and none of it was spent on dealing with the militias or other problems. It was basically, or or on the the injustice, the historic injustice and racial um, disparities and 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 um, prejudice that that goes on in this country. It was all about um, crime and and how we'll be less safe in in Joe Biden's America and how these democratic controlled cities are crawling with uh, with mobs and and uh, I mean he uses a lot of really. Uh, loaded terms, I think, that, that many people say are very racist, you know, calling these people um, just mobs and, and thugs and, and things like that. And so, yes, in a, in a way, you could say that he he's creating the situation himself by sending in the National Guard and federal agents, uh, often with no, um, uh, you know, names on their uniforms. People don't know who they are. There's been reports of them just taking people and, and, and detaining them without arresting them. Um, and so these these incursions of these federal agents into cities is is one of the reasons why the protests have continued and then often in many cases accelerated. And and then to turn around and say that because of all this violence, uh, you know, he needs to come in and, and, and be the law and order candidate who can save America from that. Uh, it does have sort of a, there's sort of an ironic twist to that, I think, that he's starting it and then saying he can stop it. Well, it's also happening while he is president of the United States. And so that's a head scratcher as well, since he suggested that any unrest that was happening under Obama's presidency was the fault of the president of the United States. And as you mentioned, it does distract attention from the coronavirus pandemic, which has left more than 180,000 Americans dead with cases in the millions. And, and that is definitely what Democrats would like to focus the conversation more on as well. Alan writes, I understand and deplore the violence from the right, of course, but who are the folks on the left who are engaging in violence and property destruction? It seems like this plays into Trump's hands. What's your reaction to the comments that uh, Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden made uh, yesterday, where he was sort of condemning both things, like the property destruction, as well as the the violence from these right wing groups or these extremist groups. Well, I I know a lot of people that 
that that have worked for Biden, know Biden, um, some that are working on the campaign, and they have been uh, really wringing their hands over the past few weeks and saying that he needs to do this. He needs to step up and come out swinging and, and very clearly say that this is not a zero-sum game, that you can criticize uh, the police for, for the, the shootings. Uh, you can criticize the right-wing militias for what they're doing, but that you also need to criticize uh, you know, the protesters or the, the small minority of people within the protests who are doing a lot of property damage, uh, burning, you know, small businesses and really, you know, wreaking havoc on people's lives. I mean, that they need to be treated as criminals, just like uh, anybody who's breaking the laws on the, on the other side. So um, I think it's going to be a very tricky situation um, <clears throat> as we get closer to the election, where they do need to be addressing these issues. And, and um, you know, it does play right into the president's hands when you do have people uh, it, within the Black Lives Matter protest who are breaking things and setting fire to to, um, you know, to cars and so forth. I mean, if you remember, <clears throat> that's what the Kenosha shooting started with. Um, Rittenhouse and some other people were standing guard purportedly at a uh, used car lot where some cars had been burned uh, a few days beforehand. So they viewed their goal or their mission as to protect these cars from, you know, the rabble rousers. And that's where the confrontation started that led to the shootings. Well, this listener writes, militia gang, how about white terrorist group? If Kyle Rittenhouse was of Middle Eastern descent, we all know what he would be called. Are some of these groups, do you know, uh, deemed domestic terrorist organizations or members of domestic terrorist groups who are at these uh, protests, Josh Meyer? Uh, so far, no. And I think, you know, we could have a whole nother show about that. I mean, there is no... Um, there are, there's no real definition of what a domestic terrorist group is, like there is an international terrorist group, and that has really uh, tied the hands of law enforcement because they can't use the same criminal predicates to arrest or detain or, or to charge these people. So that needs to be addressed, too, is who is a, a domestic terrorist, uh, what do you need to do to be charged with uh, domestic terrorism, and, and especially importantly, what do you need to do to allow the authorities to surveil you ahead of time um, to determine if you are a domestic terrorist? I mean, I think that's going too far to call them terrorists, but, um, you know, lost souls who are very aggressive and, and, and need something to do, who are walking around with automatic weapons and looking for a fight, um, you know, I don't think that person's a terrorist, but they could be uh, somebody who's part of a um, a group that needs to be surveilled by police to decide uh, whether or not they need to be um, stopped before they do something. I mean, and I don't think that there's nearly enough undercover surveillance within these white militia groups to find out what they're doing so that they can be stopped before they do something. Well, this listener writes, we really need to get rid of all guns in this country. Our militia should not be legal. They're dangerous and should be shut down. I'm ready to leave this country that I love because I do not feel this country is safe for me or my family. George in San Jose, join us. Hi, George. Hi. I'm wondering if it's legal for a 17-year-old to purchase an assault rifle there in that part of Wisconsin. And if not, will the gun's legal owner be prosecuted? George, thanks. Rittenhouse was from Antioch, Illinois. But what do you know about gun laws in that area? Um, I mean, these are these are all great questions, as always, on the show. Uh, uh, you know, I think that if you're 17, my guess is that you shouldn't be carrying a gun at all. I think it's illegal. One thing that was very instructive, and if I was doing a follow-up on this, and I might, was that his lawyer 
insisted that that Rittenhouse did not bring the gun across state lines, that somehow or other he was provided the weapon, the AR-15, um, in Wisconsin. And so when defense lawyers say that, I automatically key on that A to see if it's true, uh, but B, why are they being so defensive? So if he had brought the gun across state lines, that's probably a felony. Um, but, you know, if he didn't, if there's nothing... Uh, illegal with a 17-year-old carrying one of those weapons and crossing st state lines to do this, then clearly uh, the laws need to be changed. But 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 at, at this point, I don't know. But but that's something the police and, and the prosecutors should be looking at very closely, I'm sure. Well, let me see if I can get Margaret from Santa Rosa in here. Hi, Margaret. Hi. Um, I'm going to try to be cogent. This is all so upsetting, but I do want to say one thing that violence is, is addictive for people who are, as you say, for lost souls. But for people who, um, that's, that's one way, um, I, I do worry about young people who, who don't have something more meaningful to do with their lives. But violence is addictive, and both sides are, are um, and my, what worries me is about Antifa, um, they seem as um, they may not be carrying long guns, but they're they're uh, participating in that. Um, it's an energy, and they seem to. It, I'm I'm always very discouraged when I hear about what they're doing because it's a provocation. I hope that's enough to say, but it. Um it Margaret, worries me. Thanks. Well, we've touched on this, um, but Josh Meyer, if you do want to just again contextualize the differences. Um, I mean, I think pro provocateur is a very good way of describing this. One thing that I've been very curious about is that the Antifa groups that were out in force, uh, in, in huge force uh, after uh, Charlottesville, uh, you know, when, we, when people were protesting the Confederate statues and immigration and uh, the the ban on mu mu the Muslim ban, so-called Muslim ban, um, that they have not been very uh, active lately. Um, and some of them have gone to some of these rallies, but they haven't been the kind of force that they were before. Uh, in fact, the Charlottesville uh, tragedy, which, which happened, was in part because the Antifa was such a big group and that these uh, right-wing groups were called to, to uh, counter them. But I am wondering what they're up to. Um, there's there's a there's a wide spectrum of these groups. There are even some quote unquote black power groups that authorities are worried about. Uh, there was an incident in I think it was Houston or Dallas a few years ago about that, where some of these groups uh, they're not like the Black Panthers of the 1960s, but you know that they banded together uh, to sort of patrol their neighborhoods and so forth too. So um, you know it's a problem that comes from all political spectrum. Well, all across we, the political spectrum. We just have a minute left, but barring, as you mentioned, you're concerned about open carry, you know, in 45 states suddenly deciding that they're no longer going to allow it. I mean, what what options do localities have? What what needs to happen right now? Because clearly there's also just a lot of worry and concern uh, among our listeners as well as just the general public. Right. Well, I mean, gun control is not going to happen in any significant way, I don't think. I mean, you saw what happened when Eric Holder and, and Obama tried to do that and ban assault weapons. Uh, I mean, I think that Congress is too much driven by special interests for that to happen. But I think the local police need to enforce 
whatever laws they have, I think they need to work with the state and, and federal police to surveil these groups and find out who the troublemakers are and intervene. And just, you know, if, if they can't even stop them from doing anything until they're about to pull the trigger, then they should be standing right next to them and, and stopping them when they do do that. Josh Meyer, independent investigative journalist. His latest piece is in the Washington Post about these right-wing groups that are showing up at protests heavily armed. Thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments and to Susan Britton, who produced today's segment. We'll have more after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim.